Our Selection Box mini-series on independent Irish booksellers continues today with a visit to Antonia's bookstore in Trim, County Meath. If you're tuning in for the first time, this mini-series has been put together to shine a light on some of the booksellers who are taking on the big chains and Amazon to remind us that if we don't support local business, it will go away. We've all stumbled into an independent bookstore at some time or another and thought, oh, wow, I wish there was more shops like this. And then absentmindedly bought books from Amazon or other places late at night when the local bookstore experience was right there waiting for you. The thing I'm learning across this series is the power of that seemingly small decision and how it can reverberate. And the small store experience has come on leaps and bounds it's fair to say Antonia Daly isn't just the owner and manager of Antonia's bookstore she's also the winner of the prestigious Irish bookseller of the year award Antonia thank you so much for coming on the show thanks Charlotte for having me on let me ask you this question before we get straight into your own backstory and how the shop came to be do you think indie bookstores are now taking on Amazon and winning, or is that just a battle that can't be won? Oh, that I think it actually is starting to happen more and more now. Indie bookshops, it has become a thing, you know, like in independent record stores did. Mm. It became a thing over the last few years, and even before COVID, and probably during the recession, it, it started to become a thing to support your local independent shops in general. But independent bookshops, because they are so community based and you get to know entire families and you get to know their kids and their extended families and their their own stories that I think people view independent bookshops as part of their family. And so this movement definitely started. And I think part of it originally was also against, you know, Amazon or whoever else, you know, the big guys. But I don't think it really is anymore. I think independent bookshops are now their own entity and, rather than say just Antonia's bookstore or just one other independent bookshop we're we're a group so we're Mm. now that one big entity ourselves yeah and i guess it reflects the move away from starbucks costa and that kind of a chain coffee store and how you know life is about texture and difference and uh, trying to consume things differently uh, and seeing the world and I really feel like that appreciation for how things don't have to be the same and shouldn't be the same is something that's going to emerge from from lockdown now you yourself uh, had a passion for bookstores early in life thanks to your mother (laughs) but you went on to study engineering in Bolton Street is that part of the reason why I didn't immediately go into stand-up comedy and podcasting? Because part <laughs> of you thinks, oh, sure, I could never do that. That that That's for somebody else. I, it probably was. I mean, I, I loved engineering and that was definitely when I was in school. That was that was the route I was always going. I loved maths. I loved technical graphics. I fought to do technical graphics from my leaving search because I was in an all-girls school and they had done it for junior search and then decided they were dropping it. And I'd already decided I was doing engineering, so this was not going to happen. So I fought for it. Um, so I did love that that part of my life and I loved engineering, but I don't know, there was just always something that just kept drawing me back that I really wanted I wanted to own a bookshop and I don't think I realized 
exactly that's what I wanted to do. I just knew I loved books and there was something missing. So when I announced one day that, you know, this is something I want to do, my entire family, my fiance, my parents, everybody was really supportive. And the reaction was mainly, you know, when you're young enough, you have your degree, you could go and try it. And if it's an absolute disaster, you can go back to engineering. And the company I was working for at the time were just about to leave Ireland as well. So, you know, was at a time when I would have been looking for a new job anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just started researching. And like I've heard others saying, I didn't just decide, right, I'm opening the shop tomorrow. I probably spent nine months to a year researching it contacting the booksellers association really thinking about how i was going to do it where i was going to get the money how do you set up a bookshop because i had no experience in bookselling hmm. but the family had a bit of experience in retail uh, your yes. your dad's dad ran the family butcher in bolton street in dublin he met your and married anne curran who uh, was also known as joan and whose own father had a sweet shop in Bolton Street. That must have helped you along a little bit, the sense that this is kind of in my genes. I know. And it's funny because that was all unintentional as well, that I basically followed geographically in their footsteps as well as, you know, going into Mm. retail because Bolton Street just happened to be the place that is meant to be one of the best to study engineering. And so I ended up on Bolton Street where they had both both my grandparents had grown up and met and fallen in love when they were only like they were only teenagers they weren't allowed to date when they met first but yeah and then the same with opening the shop I hadn't quite decided where I would open it I'd looked at loads of different locations and I just loved trim every time I went into trim the tidy towns are just fantastic and trim and they really encourage everybody to put out flowers whether it's homes and businesses so when you when you go into trim particularly on a sunny day and you just see that castle and there's flowers everywhere it just felt like it was the right place for a bookshop mm. and then and I knew my grandparents lived in Summerhill which is just about 10 minutes away from trim and that's where granddad had had his shop but I don't think I was aware that my great grandfather had had worked in Trim many many years ago for a butcher in Trim, and that's where he met his wife, my great grandmother. So, I've kind of followed in their footsteps into the same town as well. It is it is weirdly serendipitous <laughs> and kind of remarkable that that you know that pattern that you describe, and obviously it isn't a rocket to success straight away. As you say, you're flying blind while all that stuff is in your past and it's in the family archives and people talk about (laughs) it at Christmas. You don't know anything about what you're getting into. Dawn Bean talked about trying to get the experience other places. Where were you finding the information necessary? And when you look back on what you were learning then, did any of it matter or was all of the experience that you really needed only to be found in actually doing it? I think sometimes it is found in only doing it. Um, I suppose as part of engineering, you do study, and I know they had even said that to us in the first year, that because in engineering you study management and you study all these different aspects, that a lot of people who study engineering end up doing other things, which I didn't realise at the time I would be one of them. So I suppose there was that side of it, but the research was the Booksellers Association, just visiting other bookshops, having a look around. 
and I was only in my 20s. So, you know, you you are sometimes a little bit naive, I think, in your 20s. <laughs> so I don't know if I had fully realized that I'm opening a shop. I think it did really, really hit me in the week before. I was like, what have I done? I've got this massive bank loan. I've got this stock of books. I've I don't know if this is going to work because you always get like you get all the people who are absolutely lovely and can't wait. And then you get the ones that are very, do you really think now a bookshop's going to work? And in 2005 as well, I suppose we were still in the boom. So th- there wasn't much negativity around yet, but we were we were fast approaching negativity. Mm. But where there, does that negativity come from on a bookstore? I, I kind of reflected on the chat with Dawn and others who were met by a certain amount and a certain sense of who do you think you are? Why do you think this tiny town needs this bookshop? Sure, everybody goes here for their books. Where does that come from? What do you attribute it to? Because it seems to me that each and every time I've heard people met with that, that when the actual bookstore appears, they kind of get on board. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Is it an Irish thing? You know, they always say that, you know, as Irish people, we can be very negative or, but I don't know where it comes from. I think I was a bit surprised by it. There was one in particular, I remember coming in and he asked me when, when my cutoff point was of when I would stop. Like, when would I make the decision to close? And I just thought, God, I don't even know who you are. But the majority... You don't go up to a married couple and go, when are you going to Yeah, when are you going to draw the line? (laughs) Um, So it is a bit strange. And I suppose I'd never worked in that public-facing type of job before. So I wasn't aware of the things that happen when you work retail and um, when you are public facing, because we do, we hear it all. You Sometimes we describe ourselves sometimes like the barmen that you do get people in telling their life story to you mm. and you listen and you support them. And, you know, you, you could probably do with a counselling degree sometimes rather yeah. than an engineering degree. I'm not much help in that aspect, but I don't know where the negativity comes from. But there isn't much of it because you do get embraced into the town then once you're once you're open. And I think a lot of people do take it personally having a bookshop in the town and they really did support us then when the recession hit and when COVID hit and when mm. all of these things hit because they didn't want to lose their bookshop. Weirdly, I think some of it comes from that protectionism, that there's a like a parental thing somewhere in it that they don't want to see you hurt. (laughs) Sometimes our parents would discourage us from taking mad choices because they're like, you just you just need something solid. But what's really struck me about your shop, Antonia, Antonia's bookstore and trim, in case you didn't catch that, is the diversity of endeavor in what you're doing and how much you're focused on not just being a place where you buy books. It's bigger and more. It's energetic and entangled in the community and invested in putting events and things on. Now, that seems like so kind of part and parcel of the independent bookstore thing now. But obviously, as a kind of a a long term member of that set, you will have seen the rise of that. When did Mm. that start for you? I don't know. I think we realized early on that we were more than just another shop in the town. We were part of the community that the kids even came to know us. And I think that's 
I mean, we sell everything, you know, from fiction to cookeries, nonfiction to kids books. But we I think we realized early on with the kids books that they really took our shop personally. It was a place they wanted to go and they nearly saw us as part of their family too. Right down to the first week we opened, they, all the shelves weren't ready. So rather than delaying opening a week, because it was December 2005, so I wasn't going to delay a week, we opened the front half of the shop. So the kids section was a very small couple of bookcases up at the front. And this child had obviously been in that week. And then the second week, the carpenter had arrived with the rest of the shelves, so we'd fully opened the full shop and the children's section is basically most of the back of the shop. And this child who had been in the first week came in and he went over to where they had been and kind of stopped like, oh my God, the kids' books are gone. And I said, oh no, they're all down at the back. And he went running down and he came back about two minutes later. He's only about eight or nine and he came back two minutes later and he goes, I just like to say, I really like what you did because, you know, children really need to have their own space and we don't really want to be with the adults when we're checking out our books. <laughs> and I think from that early stage, I realized that these were going to be our customers as much as the adults are. The children are our customers. So we started thinking about doing things for them. And that's we started doing pajama parties and we did Halloween parties and we've had Christmas parties and we've kids book clubs. And so we did do a lot. Of, and we love doing that. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to work in a bookshop and have children's books, you have to like dressing up as well. So we dress up and get into character and do all these things. And we have a great time doing it. So I picked this book today because I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really good idea. And I also think it's a good present. You're listening to The Selection like, Box, exclusively available from Irish Men Abroad Premium on Patreon.com. I love this book. It's called Boy on Fire by Michael Mark Morgy. And what I loved about it was it's dealing with the early years of his life. From There was one book that I was dipping into, The Power of Full Engagement. I'm mad for these business type books. Yeah, I love Kevin Barry's work. I first got into him when uh, his first book is short. I think he's a brilliant short story writer. His novels are great. So it never occurred to me that like anybody would be interested in reading books written by an Irish woman in an Irish accent. But yeah, I read the short story. I liked it. Something inside of me said, you could do something like that. You know, a book is a way of starting a conversation with somebody. <laughs> and it's through the interaction with people that we can build on this sense of community. I think the independent bookshop has that air of uh, just the crack and the fun with people and discussing with people what they're interested in. To hear you talk about it, it is it is kind of a different young experience of youth than mm. we had ourselves. And it gives me a lot of hope in many ways <laughs> that that stores like yours will take that step and will go that direction. Because, look, there's still a problem in Ireland in terms of activity available for youngsters. And then when this thing hits, I'd imagine that the plug getting pulled out of the sink feeling for kids in the local community when seeing your doors closed must have been immense. I feel like I have to talk about it in each episode because there hasn't been a bigger shock to the system ever. May And there may never be a bigger shock than what we've just lived through. Can you talk me through that realisation for you and how quickly you got to the point of going, OK, accept it, 
move on? What are we doing? <laughs> I suppose like most people, when it happened first, like that week was, it, it was just after World Book Day. And the week that we closed, which was I think the 27th of March, in around that time anyway, we had had school visits, we'd had classes in. And when you think back, you know, having that many people squashed in together and we'd mm-hmm. done a book launch and we'd had the shop full that week. You know, there was a lot of activity going on because even though we were approaching lockdown, it still wasn't really, there was nothing about social distancing. There was no face masks. There was none of that yet. It was just an awareness, I suppose, that this thing was happening. So when we closed I suppose like everybody, we didn't know when or if we would ever open again. We didn't know what would happen. We didn't have a website. It was something, you know, I'm 15 years in business and I'd been procrastinating about it for years. Oh, really? And you still didn't yeah, have one at that point? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was mainly social media. We had a big following on social media. So a lot of people who wanted to order stuff would order through social media. Mm. So we closed up. I went home and... I'd say about 10 days passed where I was trying to figure out what we were going to do next. And all of a sudden, it started with one and then it kind of turned into a slow trickle into a flood where people were messaging saying, you know, I really want to get this book. Is it in the shop? Is there a way we can get it from you? So then I realized, okay, well, people are still looking for books. They need, the the schools were closed as well. So people were also looking for extra workbooks or things for the kids to do at home, like jigsaws and, you know, because we do sell some art and craft things as well. So when they started a contact, that's when I realized, okay, we, we need to do something here. So I started going into the shop and the girls started going into the shop you know, a couple, just a couple of hours every day just to send out orders. We were posting them out or if they lived within the two kilometers, we were dropping them to their door. And that even became a lovely thing because the streets were empty at that stage. There was no traffic and you, you almost felt, I think everybody had that feeling of, is there anybody else out there? Is it just us now? What's going on? So you were arriving at their door and like you'd you'd knock on the door and it did almost feel rude because you'd put the book in the bag on the doorstep and take the few steps back down the driveway and they'd open the door and you kind of point at their feet to show them that their book was there and then you'd have a little chat for a few minutes and you could see it was it was absolutely brilliant for me I I found that so therapeutic actually talking to other people and I could see for them it was therapeutic for them to talk to somebody else outside of their own household who they knew so yeah and that just grew and grew the more word got around that we were doing that more people started messaging the website was now well underway at this stage and we had it in progress but um yeah, so then, then orders obviously started coming in from all over the place. And uh, we were very lucky that the Daily Dish couple who live just not too far from the shop, they were able to sign copies. I can't remember exactly what month that was, but we managed to, because they had to come to Trim to do their shopping, their food shopping. So they signed copies socially distanced for us as well. So because they then put it on their Instagram page, which they have a massive following, all of a sudden, everybody knew we had a website without us really having to go. find those people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ser- it... Serendipity again, Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, um, it's still bound to have made an impact. Let's not pretend. And I feel like sometimes that's the taboo 
in certainly in my industry and also just in England here, the the Keeping Up Appearances <laughs> sitcom only makes sense to me now because I realize <laughs> how much people are pretending in, in, in mm. so many ways that everything's OK. And we have to present the image of success in, in so many ways. But there can be no doubt that people are hurting and covering to a large extent what they've lost, who they've lost and where they go from here. Now that your doors are open, are you getting a sense of that? And are you working through it yourself? Because look, Antonia, you've lost a tremendous amount of income, just like everyone else. And I know that's why we can't complain because everybody else is in the same thing. But <laughs> this is the time to do it. I mean, this has I been know. a massive, this must be a massive dint in what was your financial projection. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. And, uh, you know, the the girls were only coming in to help out here and there. So I wasn't, they weren't even full time. So I suppose it had a massive impact on the business and I was terrified, like everybody was, that we would lose the business after 15 years. And then there was also that sense of guilt because when I have two staff, but you have a sense of responsibility to them, to both their safety and mm-hmm. also the fact that I now couldn't have them in for the hours we normally would have had them in. So that got me down as well. You know, it wasn't just me. I was thinking about it, it was everybody. And then the the kids who do come to those book clubs and things like that, that I suppose I didn't realise straight away how much that was going to affect them. But we were getting messages from parents saying that some of them were really struggling because they can't. And this is why independent bookshops work is kids find it very hard to pick a book online um, and particularly the early readers because they don't know what stage they're at. They need to see the book. We need to be able to show them the book. And we had kind of argued this at the time when bookshops weren't on the essential list because they were in other countries that it was the same as when they made the change the rules for shoe shops that books for kids are the same. They, the child has to be fitted for the book. Yeah, you got to try it on. Um, yeah, exactly. And that just cannot be done online. So we were trying to take photographs and send videos to people to show them, but it, it just wasn't the same. And it wasn't the same experience for the children, um, whether they were big readers or struggling readers, it didn't make a difference. They they needed to be able to come in. So I, that was hard as well, knowing that these children who I've seen in my book clubs and seen in my shop for so many years to find out that they were struggling a bit as well. So it is great now to see them back in the shop and able to pick out things themselves and and they're so excited and you know back back when we opened back in June last year they weren't allowed into supermarkets I don't know if you remember that that was a thing mm. it, it wasn't that they weren't allowed but it wasn't encouraged that you brought your children to the supermarket so a lot of the time when they came into us, it was the first shop they'd been in in three months. So you got the entire story of everything that had happened in their house for the last three months because <laughs> you're the first first person they've seen outside of their own family. So that was that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, Particularly I when mean, the, par- you, the parents uh, are standing behind them going, oh, maybe don't tell them that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't tell them about the, the, the wine during homeschool. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, Antonia, August must have been, you know, a, a moment of real high for you, uh, winning this Bookseller of the Year award from O'Brien Press. A really prestigious award and, and something that you 
didn't see coming. Now, everything that I read afterwards, no. <laughs> everyone's like, of course, but I hadn't you got were blindsided by it. <laughs> Completely. I absolutely hadn't got a clue. And I think I forget that I'm in the business 15 years, 15 and a half years now. I don't know why, but I... I suppose it's only in the last five years I've started getting those phone calls that I would have made myself in the first few years where you're looking for advice on something that you haven't done before and you don't know how to do it. So you're ringing somebody else to find out. And in the last five years or so, I've been getting those phone calls and I'm kind of going, oh, okay, when did this happen? So maybe I should have expected it, but I absolutely didn't. And it was done on Zoom and it, <laughs> it was done very sneakily by Elena in O'Brien Press because I thought we had a, a rep meeting where she was just going to show us the new books for the, the next season. Mm. And all of a sudden, Ivan O'Brien was on the call as well. And I thought, oh, this is a bit strange, but I mean, nothing is strange anymore. It was COVID and <laughs> he, he was asking questions about how things were going with the shop. And I just thought that's what it was. And then he started reading this thing. He said this thing that somebody sent in. And in my head, I was going, why would a customer send something to O'Brien <laughs> Press? This is really odd. So you still haven't I, liked it. No, I just hadn't. And I think anybody else, because I've watched the video back and I think, you idiot, Like everybody else probably thought it was really obvious. <laughs> I hadn't got a clue. And then all of a sudden, all these other faces started popping up in, on Zoom. As Ivan said, you've won this year's bookseller of the year. And I can see it when I watch the video now that I still don't think I knew what he said for a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's such an honour because when you look back at the names of people who've won it, I mean, one of the first winners was Fred Hanna. And, it, you know, there's, it is, it's a huge honour. And a lot, a lot of people said at the time, because it's usually announced at a dinner dance that booksellers go to every year. And a lot of people said, oh, you missed that. You didn't get to have that experience. But I actually love the experience I got now because they, to try and make it more special, they got a load of videos made by both authors and customers and reps and different people I've worked with in the industry. And they put a whole thing together. And I'll always have that, you know. Yeah, and I have, I've watched it and it is, it's really moving and really touching. And it also reflects the community so well, how the connection between all of you uh, as booksellers and, you know, the Selection Box mini series on independent booksellers has woken me up to this beautiful thing that's underneath our noses a lot of the time. And when you're driving through small towns and you just don't go, uh, I'm going to stop the car and go in <laughs> here, which is actually a thing that Mikey, my son, has got me into doing when we're on our trip around Ireland, that if we see something, we have to stop. Just check it out. It makes long drives very long, but also provides these uh, exquisite memories, such as popping into the, uh, I think it was a, a toy soldier making factory in the middle of Cork in the mountains. Oh, wow. <laughs> but e equally, Antonia, I'm looking forward to dropping in to your bookshop and trim and meet when we get back this August. I wanted to ask, though, before we go, because obviously that's the straight answer for anyone who goes, well, what do we do in terms of supporting these places? You fucking go to them. It's that yeah. simple. Just yeah. get in the door and make uh, the a little bigger decision about where you're getting your books from. How do you feel, though, about the dangers to uh, independent booksellers now? Has there never been a better time for them? Or is, are things still precarious with people watching their purse strings? 
I suppose we're between the two at the moment because there really is a movement to support independent bookshops and to try and buy locally. Um, and Brexit has probably added to that as well as the pandemic, mm. that people are more conscious about trying to keep their money in Ireland. And if you're going to buy off these big companies that aren't in Ireland, then you're not keeping your money in Ireland. And then, you know, there's all the other aspects that people feel that, you know, there's some of these companies that don't exactly treat their staff right. But mm. um, whereas we we do, you can ask my staff, I'm sure they'll agree that we do treat them well. <laughs> <laughs> They're part of my family at this stage. But also, as we just talked about kids picking books, it's not just kids picking books. A lot of adults want to see what size is the writing. I mean, if you're going to read in bed at night after a long day or you've been on the computer all day and you pick up a book and realise, oh my God, the writing is tiny, you can't read it. So sometimes they want to see what the font is like. They want just that that thing of reading the back of the book properly or having a look at how big is the book or mm. you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know we have a website now and it, it is great when for somebody who isn't close to us or for somebody who knows exactly what book they want to get. But it's never going to change that experience of going in and getting a recommendation or somebody coming up to the counter and saying, you know, I've, I've picked out these three, which one would you recommend? And mm -hmm. The great thing about an independent bookshop is that we talk to our customers. So chances are we've already had somebody in who said, oh, I absolutely love this book or I absolutely hated this book because we'll tell you that too. We're not going to lie just to sell the book. We'll, we'll tell you what other people have said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Un unlike Amazon, the reviews aren't fake. <laughs> they're they're yeah, legit exactly. when they're coming yes. from you guys. And Tonya's bookstore.com is the website that you mentioned there. And it's a really, really easy to use, well put together uh, website for anybody anywhere in the world right now who wants to order books through Antonia. I've been asking, I think I've got into the habit now of asking people what's the What's the one book they'd, they'd recommend from the past year? I think it was The Horse, The Mole and The Fox was the one that yeah. uh, Dawn referenced. What would be yours? Oh, God, there's so many of them. Um, the one that I've just finished and I really loved it was Driving for Pearls by Jamie O'Connell. It's set in Dubai and it's just, it follows seven characters through Dubai and it's fiction and I, I know Jamie, so a little bit of bias, I suppose, but also not because when you read the book by someone you know, you're afraid you're not going to like it. And I can honestly, hand on heart, say I absolutely loved this book. But it's a great one, particularly this year when, you know, there's going to be very little travel involved this year. So if you want to do a little bit of traveling, you can travel to Dubai by reading this. But the characters and it starts with a body floating in the Dubai marina and it's not really about what happened to her but more about these seven people and how their lives were affected by her death Fantastic. so I definitely highly recommend that to anybody it's called Diving for Pearls by Jamie O'Connell Diving for Pearls by Jamie O'Connell I'm looking at it on your website there it's available <laughs> for just sixteen ninety nine, and there's signed copies available if you go to antoniasbookstore.com Antonia Daly thank you so much for doing the selection box and I really look forward to getting out to trim as I said in August we're creating a series of runs around Ireland we're trying to tie them in with the bookstores that we've done signed 
Tony O'Sullivan and I gathering the members of the Irishman Running Abroad podcast together and doing these casual kind of 5k runs around the place just to meet up uh, socially distanced and whatnot in aid of Jigsaw.ie, our chosen charity partner. Why not go back and listen to the rest of the Selection Box miniseries? It's available for free for a, a limited time here everywhere on all platforms. John Marr does the extra research. Tina and Mikey make it all possible. Brian Connolly is on sound. I will be back with Marion McKeown on Friday for more Irishman in America. And Will Sliney, the illustrator, is my guest on Sunday on the main interview. Antonia Daly, thank you so much again for doing this. And uh, I'll see you in person when I'm picking up my books from the shop in August. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Looking forward to meeting you in person in August. (laughs) 